And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, reminds us that a payment was and still is due to God. Also, Jew haters and Jew harmers will one day be punished. The future battle of Armageddon is also seen in today's verses. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. I want us to look at three passages outside of Joel 3 that describe this future battle of Armageddon. So if you hold your places in Joel 3, would you first go to the last book of God's Bible, Revelation chapter 16. I want us to look at verses 13 to 16. Revelation 16 13 to 16. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked, and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew, which is called Armageddon. The next verses I want to show you on this battle future of Armageddon, in the Old Testament, please, Psalm 2, verses 2 and 3. The kings of the earth shall take their stand, And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And still in the Old Testament, the last passage I want us to look at that talks about the future tribulation time battle of Armageddon, Zechariah, near the end of the Old Testament, Zechariah, chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. This battle of Armageddon is predicted in the Old Testament, is expanded upon in prediction in the New Testament. And so going back to Joel chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, these two focus on this time. For behold, in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. They have also cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. 
we could see in verses 1 to 3 that I've just read that the Lord is asserting that a payment is due. A payment is due. The Gentile nations owe God due to their sins of driving the Jews apart, Joel 3, 2b, due to their sins of subdividing the Jews' land, Joel 3, 2c, due to their sins of taking Jews to be their slaves, Joel 3, 3a, and due to their sins of human trafficking of Jewish kids, verse 3b, the Gentile nations owe God. I met a Jewish lady in Newton Hospital when I was visiting Leanna Steele. Remember Leanna? She was your roommate in Newton Hospital, and we came to share the word of God and to pray with you. Beverly was her name. She listened to the word of God being read with Leanna. She listened to us pray, and the Lord led me to stop at the foot of her bed before I left the hospital room to engage her in conversation. Eventually, she told me, I'm Jewish. And I think she said that to try to ward me off that, you know, I'm okay. But as I spoke with Beverly about her Jewishness and how special that was in the sight of God, she informed us quite emphatically that she was not so happy to be one of God's chosen people because she had seen a lot of bad things happen to her Jewish countrymen through history. And she had seen bad things happen to her simply because she was Jewish. The fact that one future day, the Lord is going to exact a payment from all those who have harmed his Jews should have been encouraging to Beverly. I tried to frame it that way. She said she'd have to think about that. You see, what's true in the song is true in the song. God sees the little sparrow fall. It meets his tender view. If God so loves the little birds, I know he loves me too. Basically, verses 1 to 3 in Joel 3 record God saying to unregenerate Gentiles, a payment is due to me. Now we move on to verses 4 to 7. And as we do, God rules that anything that these unbelieving Gentiles could try to pay their debt to the Lord would be sorely lacking. God tells us in verses 4 to 7 that no matter what the Gentiles that do not believe in Christ, the nations made up the Gentiles that do not believe in Christ, no matter what they could dream up to pay God for the debt they owe him, it would be sorely inadequate payment. Verses 4 to 7, please. Moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you rendering me a recompense? But if you do recompense me swiftly and speedily, I will return your recompense on your head. Since you have taken my silver and my gold, brought my precious treasures to your temples, and sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their territory, behold, I am going to arouse them from the place where you have sold them and return your recompense on your head. Also, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the sons of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. As a case in point, not the only Gentile nation that will try to pay God the debt they owe insufficiently, but as a case in point in these verses, the pagan Gentile nation of Philistia is centered out and cited by God for her particular crimes against God and against his Jews. 
crimes, number one, of plundering God's temple and treasures and making them blasphemous. Number two, the crime of selling Jewish boys into slavery. And God is saying to Philistia, payment is due me, and your payment inevitably will be inadequate. And therefore, because your payment will inevitably be inadequate, I will give you a punishment payment. To see this punishment payment, please look at verse 8 again. Also, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the sons of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. God, who is the ultimate promise keeper, promises to have the slave seller's kids sold themselves. The technical name for this is teleonic justice. The common name for this is what goes around comes around. Just before we move off of the payment section of verses 1 to 3, just like the future Gentile nations will not be able to make an adequate payment to God for their sins, neither can any of us today. There's only two ways to pay for our sins. One is to believe in Christ and to accept the payment for our sins that he made on our behalf at the cross. Or if we reject Christ to our grave, if we reject Christ's salvation till the time we die, then the other way to pay for our sin debt to God is by conscious, unending torment with grades of suffering in a real place called hell. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to continue to talk about what it truly means to lead and what it truly means to be an influence. And as we talked about last week, we looked at the life of Jesus and we, we saw how Jesus himself, as he is facing the cross, doesn't miss the opportunity to show what servant leadership is all about. And we want to pick up in John chapter 13, verse 9, it says that Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Again, as we um, looked at last week, here it is, Simon Peter's questioning Jesus and saying, why are you washing our feet? I can't allow you to do that. And Jesus basically says to him that I must. If I don't, you have no share with me. Again, as we consider, you know, Jesus says to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean but not every one of you. Here it is. Jesus is taking the statement. And like we said earlier last week, we talked about how Jesus is getting ready to face the cross and, and he knows that Judas is going to betray him. And here it is. Jesus is even getting ready to wash his feet. And when we, um, when we think about that and we think about how Christ, you know, the leader of all leaders, the king of kings, here it is. He is lowering himself to wash the feet of someone who is going to betray him. Again, as we consider that, it's another point for us to think about as we are leaders, how we lead. Because sometimes it's easy to lead people who like you, who are there to um, you know, encourage you, who's there to lift you up and, and, and basically big up your head, as we like to say. But it's hard to think of someone who basically who's getting ready to hurt us, who has hurt us, who has said things about us. But here it is, Jesus has washed even 
Judas' feet, the one that's going to betray him. And I think for us, as we consider that truth and we consider the influence as, as a leader, again, as I closed last week, I talked about how you put leadership and follower together because we must be a leader that can be followed. And I think that as we consider leadership and we consider the influence that we have, we need to not look no further than what Jesus is saying here. And this is where verse 12 says, When he wa- had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? And again, as you consider what we talked about last week, and we said that you must show by example of what you want people to do, Jesus is very clear. And he wants them to understand, Do you know what I did here? Verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, And you are right, for so I am. Again, Jesus is not saying that he is not the Lord. He is not the teacher. He is saying, look, this is what you call me. This is who I am. But the question is, do you see what I am doing? Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And I want us to make very clear, because I think sometimes we take the whole washing of feet and we think that this is the way we serve, you know, But the reality is is that this is talking about service in so many different ways. How do we serve? How can we serve one another? How can we be there for one another? Again, Jesus doesn't just tell them, hey, this is what to do. But Jesus is showing them by example. In verse 15, he says this, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Again, as we consider that truth and we consider um, what we see there, again, is an example. Again, Jesus is not a person just to tell them what to do. He's showing them what to do. And I think that as a young person, as a person who in life you're looking for people to um, inspire you, you know, you, you need to look for people who, sh- who show you by an example of their life. A person that brings honor and glory to God. A person that's going to help you. Don't follow the crowd that's going to be a bad influence on you, but Follow the crowd is going to be a good influence. Verse 16 of John chapter 13 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Again, as I consider and we consider this verse, we need to recognize what it's saying that a servant is not greater than his master, but he is showing them exactly, hey, this is what you do. Uh, one of the greatest books that I have ever read on leadership is from Oswald Saunders. And, you know, one of, the, one of the truths that I learned at a very young age and, um, at, you know, as a young adult, it really helped me through life. It helped me to become the person that I am today because, you know, the principle of, of just this chapter in the Bible, it just, it just was brought out in that and talking about how before someone leads, he must serve. And that was the whole premise of the book to show you what true biblical leadership was. You see, we need to understand that as we consider that truth, we consider that, you know, before I lead, I must be willing to serve. I cannot be a person that continues just to tell people what to do, but I need to show them what to do. I need to show them that I'm willing to do. You see, Jesus did that. And for me, as, as a born-again believer, Jesus is my example. And there are many different Christian authors that people read for leadership, John Maxwell being one of them, and, you know, so many different people. And 
And one thing that I always am very, as I consider school is getting ready to, you know, is closed and getting ready to start up, you know, in graduations, you always hear people quote different leadership books. And you want me to tell you what I always find out is a lot of the principles come from God's holy word. You know, a lot of these principles come from Christian authors who are, you know, writing the truth because we have the greatest leader of all time in Jesus Christ. And he has showed us how to live. He has showed us how to lead. He has showed us the example. And you know, if you want to be a great influence, follow his example. Follow the example of, as we see in this chapter, doing a job that none of us would really would want to do. You know, no one would want to wash feet as, as we consider how dirty their feet were. You know, no one wants to go unclog a toilet. No one wants to, you know, clean and, and do these different things. That's not by a choice that someone really probably jumps for joy and says, yes, I get to, I want to do this. But sometimes we do it because we want to bring honor and glory to God. And we show people how, what to do. And if we as leaders and, and we say to ourselves, well, that job is below me, then we're not going to help the cause of Christ. If we think that, you know what, I'm not getting dirty to reach this generation for Christ, then we're missing the point of why we exist. We exist to bring honor and glory to God. We exist to spread the gospel. We exist to show the love of Christ. We exist to, as, as the Bible says, in everything that you do, whatever you do, bring honor and glory to God. Because this is what we are here on this purpose to do. Today's Help for the Hearing segment is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church's Christian Counseling Center. The center is located at 58 Collins Avenue, Nassau, Bahamas. If you would like an appointment or more information, dial 323-7000. That's 323-7000. Or email them at cccbahamas at gmail.com. And now, the Executive Director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Good morning and thank you again for having us in your homes this morning. Again in the studio with me is Deborah Arnett and uh, uh, we were talking about the way we should respond to our children last time and one of the things that I mentioned was there are those who feel that unless we raise our voices, shout or scream, our children refuse to do what we say. So it seemed to me that they are waiting for us to scream before they move because that is what they used to or, or how do you see it? Well, as I mentioned last time, and I'll just quickly review, um, the shouting, the screaming, the ranting, the raging, it actually taps into their emotional brain. And so it produces an emotional reflex, which some people may be familiar with, and we refer to as flight, fight, freeze response. Right. So the child is responding from fear, not out of respect, not out of honor, not out of this recognition that, oh, wait, you're right. It suddenly occurred. You're right. Let me do this. But rather out of fear. And you don't want that type of relationship because fear is not an effective way to motivate people. And research has shown that it's ineffective if you want to motivate people to do something. Um, however, one of the things that I think is very important and very efficacious if you want to promote 
um, a healthy relationship with your child where you don't have to scream and rant and yell to get a response, it's important to foster discipline. And discipline does not start at the age of 12. Discipline starts when they're that toddler who refuses to go to bed at nine o'clock at night and they want to sit up with you and you have decided that you want them to have a bedtime of eight Mm o'clock well you can either place that child in the bed and lovingly inform them that they need to stay there or you can permit them to stay up for as long as they feel like staying up and roam about for as long as they feel like roaming about and let them have their own way the importance of fostering discipline is that you teach your children boundaries and boundaries need to be taught. Mm-hmm. And that is important for all aspects of life. That enables them to go to school and stay in their seats. Mm-hmm. That enables them to go to the environment and you can say to them, when you're at aunt so-and-so's house, please do not touch these things or do not do these things or listen to her authority. If you don't teach your children boundaries, if you don't teach them to honor your authority, they will not honor other authorities mm-hmm. in other spaces and spares and they won't un- honor other boundaries that are put in place. Um, and it's also an effective way to teach them that if they're faithful in the little things, you can ultimately begin to trust them with greater responsibilities. Mm -hmm. But it starts from when they're a tender age. You don't wait until they're five, six and can talk back to you and have a conversation about it. Um, And you have to also understand as an adult dealing with a toddler, your authority is not a laughing matter. And one of the mistakes that I think a lot of parents make is that when they're toddler responds in a very cute and seemingly funny way they laugh right and then they just don't follow through with the discipline right well that sends a message to the child oh this is how i get out of it right and what the parent notices over time is that the child will persist in these behaviors of trying to be the comedian or trying to do something funny to distract and avoid the disciplinary action and when i speak to discipline i'm not talking about physical punishment Mm -hmm. i'm talking about providing guidance and structure and boundaries for the child so that he or she can function well Mm -hmm. in life in relationships and in different settings whether you are present or not Mm -hmm. um to speak particularly to christians on this issue when you teach your children how to develop boundaries how to have discipline in their life you're also teaching them important lessons about how to walk in obedience with god because There are times where God instructs individuals um, in their personal relationships with him to do things, and he does not sit down and provide a lengthy explanation as to why he wants them to do it. So if you build a relationship with your child where you can communicate to them, there are times mom and dad are going to tell you to do things, and I do not have the time to explain why. They will learn how to honor God in a similar way. So if the child is in the middle of the road, a car is coming, and you say, get out the road, this is not a time for a debate. Right. So... If you have a healthy relationship with them where you've taught them boundaries, where you've taught them discipline, they're going to respond and they're going to trust you Mm -hmm. and they're going to obey you. Um, But if you, again, are not engaging in a lifestyle of integrity, if you are showing them that they can debate things with you um, and that there aren't specific times where they do need to just move and act in response to instructions you give them, then they're going to take the same approach with God and with others and other forms of authority. Um, And remember, as I said last time, it's a little idiotic to think that you can tell your child to do as you say and not as you do, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they will ultimately model your behavior. I would dare say there is no wonder why there is little or no respect or honor for those who are in authority, like our policemen or our school teachers or even those who are in authority in the church because if it's not taught from the home by the time they start going to school or to church or wherever they are going to bring that same action 
into the public. So is there any wonder why we are having such a difficult time today with our young people seemingly out of control? And not only the young, the not so young as well. Thank you very much, Deborah, and uh, we will pick up from here next time in the will of the Lord. God bless you. I want to share a prayer called the Valley of Vision. It's not unique to me. It's someone else's prayer, a Puritan's prayer. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the Valley of Vision, where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by the mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime stars that can be seen from deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, Thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.